Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. I want to start with two pictures, two different pictures, two different times in my life that, uh, uh, that are ingrained in my memories. The first was when I went to Haiti. Leslie and I went to Haiti in 2008. Um, because I was at a period of time where I, I felt like I needed, I needed to get wrecked. I needed to see the world that was not in my nice little corner. And our church had a partnership uh, where we were with, um, uh, with a school and an orphanage in Haiti. And so we went down and full, full days playing soccer uh, with the kids at the orphanage and having them look at our cameras and take selfies with us. But then after a full day, we went to, they had like this revival uh, kind of meeting in the city. Uh, full, the church filled up, and then we got paraded in this white group of people coming down for the week. Um, we got paraded in, and they led us to the stage, to the seats of honor. And we sat in the revival, um, in the seats of honor, looking out at the Haitian church. And for me... I was like, I'm grateful that you want to honor me, but it's so awkward right now because I've done nothing to deserve this. I'm, I'm also really tired after a day, and you're going to see me fall asleep. <laughs> and, and there's something so wrong about what is going on on multiple levels here. Did not, did not feel like we should, that we should be in that place. Still separated, Right? Uh, still not together, uh, and yet didn't want to offend by saying, no, I'm not going to go where you tell me to go. I'm going to be one of you, <laughs> right? Um, so there's that picture. Um, honor and yet separation, and um, it, it was still a beautiful thing of mingling in cultures and being one uh, in Jesus, but there was something different about it. Different picture is... Uh, Times where I have gone to Senegal, in Godel, in the village, where the agenda is shared time. There isn't talk, there, there isn't a lot of work being done. It's a lot of sitting. And one of the richest times was this last time, uh, where we spent so much time sitting in circles, in chairs, where people would just pull up chairs, and then they would, then they would start making ataya, which is their tea which is an art, and uh, they pour it back and forth and create this wonderful thick foam on top, and then uh, they pass you like this little shot glass full of tea, and it's highly caffeinated, highly sugared, beautiful uh, goodness, and you drink it right in front of everybody, and then you put the shot glass back on the dish, and they pour another one for somebody else, and it was a beautiful picture of camaraderie and community, and we're different, but we're together, and you know what was bringing us together? was this sense of community and the depth in the church of us being together in Jesus. Paul talks about this in Colossians, where we've been in Colossians, and he started with this high, high, elevated, exalted view of who Christ is as the creator, as the sustainer, as the reconciler, and now he's turning the corner at the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3 of saying, we died to our old life, 
and we're raised to new life with Christ. And it mirrors his death and his resurrection. We go through that same kind of thing. And now chapter 3 begins the ethics. What follows? What life follows? When you have been changed, what comes next? And so I want to read Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, and go all the way down. We're going to focus on verse 11 this morning, talking about the community, the, the family life that he's creating that Jesus is creating in this new life. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So, put to death, therefore... What is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul says, you died. You die. You put your old life to death. And in that moment when Christ rises from the grave and you put your trust in him, you come alive spiritually in a way that changes everything. It is a once-for-all transformation, right? You have been brought to life. You are a new creation. And Paul also says you are being renewed. So there's an already and a not yet. There's a, there's a change that has happened and a change that is still occurring in all of us, right? That we are in Christ, we, st- we are ready to stand in front of God our judge and have Jesus in front of us. Say, so I see Jesus, I see perfection. And yet we also recognize we're not, we're not perfectly walking that out yet, right? And Paul says, here, here, meaning in this new life. This is not just about you. This is about we. This is about us. Here, Paul says, things are different than the world around us because the world likes to separate and the world likes to push apart and the world likes to call and label people one thing or another. And we have, you know, you know how polarized the world that we live in is. And Paul says, that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus doesn't erase people and just make them all one same thing. It honors who people are and yet says, that is, that's not something that will divide us. That's actually something that makes us stronger together, that there's beauty in diversity. And Paul starts talking about some of the labels that are going on in his day. Paul says, there's not Greek and Jew. A lot of translations have uh, Jew and Gentile going on there. 
And it was basically saying, for people who have grown up with a family heritage, with a religious heritage of being Jewish, they looked at everybody else. It was Jew and it was non-Jew. And even after they came to Christ, they would say, look at my rich cultural heritage. And I look down on people that are brand new to it. And so I don't know, I don't know what your experience is. If you have grandmothers and grandfathers who were deep believers in Christ and you had the blessing of growing up in a rich Christian family experience, that is a blessing. But it's not something that we would say we look down on people that don't have that, right? Paul is saying those things don't matter anymore. Those those divisions don't matter anymore. And he takes it another step further when he says circumcision and uncircumcision, right? Because if you were a Jew, circumcision was a religious ceremonial act that showed I'm a part of the family of God. And it was, it was a, if you can say it, a beautiful symbol and image of God, of God bringing them into his family. But what was going on was that like so that was a Jewish cultural thing that God had given them. In Christ, Jewish believers were now turning to people who who came to Christ saying, you had better get circumcised because you know this is all a part of it. And Paul is saying, nope, nope, it means nothing. Whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, it means nothing. So if you grew up in a heritage that celebrated the beauty of that symbol, Embrace that. Embrace it. You can pass it on. But don't make that a requirement that would separate people, that would push people away, or would belittle other people to say, you're not, you're not fully a Jesus follower. Paul says, that's, that's not the thing anymore. Jesus. Jesus is the thing. Jesus is everything. Paul goes on. He says, there is no... Um, Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. You guys know, uh, how many of you are English geeks? Loved English in class and the rules of it? No, yeah, one. Good. Okay, couple? Couple, admit it. Onomatopoeia, which is just a fun word to say. You know what that is? A word that sounds like the word that it is, that it is right? So like bumblebee kind of is a... Uh, that kind of word. Barbarian is one of those. So Greeks looked at, in the same way that there was like Jews and non-Jews, there were also Greeks and non-Greeks. Barbarians were the non-Greeks. And the word barbarian came from Greeks. It was a uh, a belittling term because their language just sounded like bar, 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 kind of like this non-sophisticated way that they could make fun. And so you got a barbarian, right? That's where the term originated. It's not sophisticated. What? Oh, sorry, I made you mad. <laughs> it was just one of those things that started coming up and like caught on at some point. And they used it, they used it not as an honoring kind of label, but as a distancing, I'm going to push you off kind of label. So there were the barbarians, was anybody who was not sophisticated Greek. And then there were the Scythians, who were the worst barbarians, who were brutal. 
They were like the worst of the worst. Picture the worst of the worst in our world. There's Americans, and then there's not Americans. There's Americans, and then there's not Americans who are the worst of the worst not Americans. If we wanted to apply what Paul is talking about right now, that's where we get. Who comes to your mind? And Paul says, not a thing. Not a thing. We have to dismantle that. We cannot look at each other and continue to divide. We cannot look at each other and start to build platforms by which we can push others off. One author one time uh, started talking about his, the idea of a life raft theory. Where he says, picture a, a ship goes down and everybody comes onto the life raft and you're worried about your own survival and your own betterment and your own thriving. And so you start to look at other people on the life raft and think, who can I get off of here so that, so that I make it? And if I can start to make up reasons why they are less worthy than I am to be on this boat, then I, my conscience is clear. And that's kind of what we do. We make up reasons why other people are less than us. And we separate. And we push off. And we'll walk over people. And Paul will have nothing to do with that. Paul says, in this new life, none of that matters. Do you know what matters? Jesus. Jesus is all and is in all. Paul says, especially, especially, especially in the church, if we have common ground in Jesus, how dare we do anything to draw labels that would separate? We are one in Christ. Christ draws us together. And this actually isn't a new idea. This isn't something that Paul is like, writing, and then God says, man, I like what you're cooking up here, Paul, right? This is, God doesn't change. Our God is the same today as he was when Paul wrote this, as he was all the way back into the Old Testament. And so you look back into the Old Testament, and you see God acting this way, like when he called Jonah to go to people who were very different, who were a brutal, brutal, savage culture, and God says, I want you to go and I want you to tell them about me. I want you to tell them about the judgment that's coming because of the way that they're living. But I don't want you to do that so that they get wrecked. I want you to do that so they get rescued. And Jonah has this inner conflict where he runs away and God says, no, I mean it. Come on. And Jonah goes to Nineveh and preaches the word of God. And they respond. And what is God doing in that moment? He's saying, even Nineveh belongs, right? I want them to. And it's too much for Jonah. Jonah whines and pouts and then gets really cranky like we all do, like basking in this plant. And then when the plant dies, he wants to die. And just like it, a big drama baby. And God says, I want you to see the way I see. I want you to look at people the way I look at people. That's past. That's looking at God you know, through this lens into the Old Testament. We could look at 
we could uh, keep going in the trajectory to say Jesus did this. Jesus lived this kind of life. If you open up to John 4, you'll see this conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at a well. And it's noon and it's a time of the day when women were not going to the well. They got up early so they could uh, escape the heat. But the ostracized, the ones that pushed out, the ones that didn't belong, had to go at a different time so that they wouldn't feel the shame and the dishonor. And so she's going at noon. And so not only is she a woman... Uh, which in that day, women and men weren't on the same playing field. Um, they, not only was she a woman, not only was she a woman of dishonor, uh, because she's going at noon, she's also a Samaritan. And Jews didn't go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. And Jesus says to his followers, we're not going around people anymore. We're going to people. We're going to go to people who are different. We're going to go to people who it's easy to push off, easy to cast aside. We're going straight here, and I'm going to have a conversation with this woman. And not only am I going to have a conversation, I'm going to ask something from her, that she has something to offer Jesus. And he asks her for a drink. And he has this beautiful, life-giving conversation where he says, I know, I see you. And that doesn't make me retreat. That doesn't make me pull away. It doesn't make me run around. I see you, and I'm coming to you. And Jesus is about going to people who are often pushed aside. If you flip forward then, so we see Old Testament, we see Jesus in the now, and we push forward into uh, the final book of the Bible in Revelation. In Revelation 7, 9, We're given this picture of the throne room in heaven. And it describes the kind of community that is there, the kind of community that is coming. Revelation 7, 9 through 11. John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I looked and I saw people that you couldn't count. They were from all over, all over. They came from everywhere, from all kinds of different backgrounds. And they were all together. Jesus brought them all together. Jesus work as a work of reconciliation. Jesus' life brought us reconciliation. And the life that we are invited into is a life of reconciliation. That we would fight so hard to be reconciled to God and to one another. That's the ministry of Jesus. That's the life that he invites us into. And it's so beautifully illustrated in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where a guy gets mugged uh, out of maybe his own stupid decisions. He's walking alone on a dangerous road all by himself. Not a good idea. And he gets beat up. And uh, the people who we would expect to come by and help him don't. And they've got good religious uh, reasons for it. And Jesus says... The guy that you wouldn't expect it. He's the one who helps. He reaches out to somebody different than him. 
and he actually helps. And he doesn't just meet him where he's at. He brings him to town and he brings him to get care. And he says, take care of him and whatever it costs, I'll settle the bill later. And Jesus says, I don't want you to go around people anymore. I want you to go to people. And I don't want you to just walk by people once you see them. I want you to actually help. I want you to actually get dirty. I want you to actually get bloody. Helping people who are in a mess. Do whatever it takes. Spend yourself. You know the beauty of this is that, uh, like Joe Saxon wrote, it's not just a platitude. It's not just a truth saying something that's true that we would say, yeah, that's high and lofty. and that's, This is real. Jesus did this. Jesus did this. Jesus came to people like you and me who were very different from him, messed up because of our own stuff and because the world just likes to pour it on. And we were beat up and bloody. And Jesus came and he said, I will get beat up and bloody for you. I will do it. I will do it for you. And then he says, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross. You've got to get in this. I will change you and I will heal you. And then you get in in the same kind of life that I, am, that I am a part of, Jesus says, and that I'm creating in you. The application then for us today is we are not allowed to look down on people, especially in the church, especially, especially in the church. We are not allowed to look down on people and think less of them because they have different backgrounds than us and they have different settings than us, that they're living different lives from us. We are not allowed to look down on people, especially in the church. You can mirror that to say, in Christ, in the life that he's making, we are not allowed to put people on a pedestal. Because, because everyone has the same Savior, right? Other people look nice and cleaned up, but we're all we all of our good stuff is garbage before God on our own. Everybody has the same Savior. And so you look at somebody, we get intimidated by other people because we think that they have it all together. And then they go through a divorce and we're like, what happened? I thought you had a perfect life. Nobody has a perfect life. Nobody deserves a pedestal but Jesus. And so you're not allowed to look down on anybody and you're not allowed to look up at anybody in a way that raises them beyond human, beyond equal level status, right? I'm the same as you. You're the same as me. We're the same in this together. And we look at each other as family members, as siblings in Jesus. We all have the same Savior. Living the life that God calls us we are called into relationships with people who look different than us. So that's not gravity. Gravity pulls us toward people who are similar, right? We'll find people who have similar backgrounds, similar incomes, similar neighborhoods, similar eating habits, similar uh, hobbies, similar everything, and we tend to naturally just gravitate and link up and do life with them because it's easy. And Jesus says, my kind of relationships take work. The throne room where every nation and tribe, that sounds like chaos, doesn't it? You get everybody in a room and you're like, we do it this way. No, we cook chicken this way. And it's like, chicken's chicken, okay? But everybody, everybody ends up being the same in Christ. And we 
we pull together. And Jesus says, I want you to stop living easy relationships. Don't just discard them. Don't, just, don't push them. Well, they're good. But I want to call you to something beyond that. I want to call you into some difficult relationships. I want to call you into relationships with people who are different than you are. Because you can't look down on them. Because you can't look up at them. You've got to look right at them. And I want you to step into those relationships. And then, uh, if we see somebody suffering, if we see somebody hurting, 1 Corinthians 12 says, if one part of the body suffers, everybody suffers with it, right? Every member suffers with it. So especially in the church, if you see somebody hurting, it's not time to pull away. It's time to engage. It's time to step in. It's time to maybe just meet them where they're at. Maybe just ask them how they're doing. Listen, you can't offer help if you're ignorant. And we're all ignorant until we get close to somebody, until we hear what they're going through, until we see it. So let's get past ignorance and let's get close. Start listening to each other, asking questions, seeing people, and taking care of people. Real practically, who do you look down on? Because we all do. It's, it's not bad to identify it. It's actually helpful to do it. Who do you look down on? And what would change if you started to look at them as equal? That you're no better. What would change if you started to look at them as a child of God that God uh, deeply desires to have a life-giving relationship with? What would change if you started looking at them like that? Who do you look up to in maybe a way that's unhealthy, in a, in a pedestal-raising kind of way to say, oh, man, they've got it together. Like, I'm not worthy to be with them. Like, you got to cut that out. Who is that for you? And what would change if you started seeing them as equal? Say, that, wait, they, they need Jesus the same way I do, maybe differently than I do, but then in the, like at the same depth, they need Jesus too. We're equal. Who is in your world who is different from you? Who you could reach out to? From family to friends to neighbors to coworkers, who do you pass by on a regular basis and you've never thought about having a relationship because they're different? You're like, that's okay, we'll coexist. And you would say, no, let's, let's step into relationship with people who are different than I am. And you engage. Who in your world is hurting? What can you do? So right now, in this space, I want to take one minute of silence. And I, I want you to put your head down, and we're not going to do anything weird um, um, and embarrass anybody or shame anybody. I want you to put your head down. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to take one minute of silence, and I want you to ask God to put somebody's name in your mind somebody who's different or somebody who's hurting, somebody in your world that Jesus might be calling you to reach out to. And you don't even know what that looks like yet. One minute of quiet.
if you have a name, the challenge is to do something with it now. And maybe you invite that person for dinner. Maybe you invite them for lunch or breakfast or coffee. Like Food is a good deal. Food creates common space. It doesn't have to be food. Maybe you find out you have a mutual interest and you go and invite them into that. The, but take a risk. If, if you feel like God put a name in your mind, take a risk. Invite them into space with you. And get close so that you could see where they're coming from. So that you could develop a relationship and see where it goes. I'm floored sometimes by invitations that are extended that you think will land kind of on deaf ears and really hard soil that are scooped up and swallowed. And you're like, whoa, did not know that was going to happen. That's a Jonah with Nineveh kind of experience. Like, I actually kind of would prefer if they said no. It's okay. Just step in. Step in. Say, we will, be, we will be a people who steps into relationships. We will be a people who will not look down on anybody else. We will be a people who will not look up at anybody else except Jesus. We will be a people who, who fight to build relationships with people who are different from us. And we will be a people who, will, when we see people hurting, will step in and help however we can. However we can. This is about worship that everybody is invited to worship the king and it doesn't matter where you're coming from everybody is invited to worship and it's about discipleship because stuff has to happen in me for me to step out of gravity to leave the atmosphere that I live in that I naturally breathe in and I have to move toward people the way Jesus calls me it's about mission because there are people there are people that God wants an invitation to go to. To relationship, to reconciliation, to him. And we get to be a part of that. Let's be that kind of church, right? Let's be that kind of community. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I'm thankful, I'm so thankful that when you saw us far off, you didn't just push us away. You didn't just turn your face from us and forget us. That you came and you sought us. You came for us. Jesus, you, you reconciled us to you. You redeemed us and you called us back into relationship with you and painted, painted a picture of relationships that we can have that we could have never dreamed of with each other. You break the dividing walls. You smash them. You obliterate them. And we are your people. And we want to live in this new life. Help us to be wall smashers. Help us to look at people the way you do. Father, I ask that you'd give us courage. If you put some, somebody on our mind today, give us the courage to follow through pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm of communion and